Welcome to the Breakout Growth Podcast, where Sean Ellis interviews leaders from the world's fastest growing companies to get to the heart of what's really driving their growth. And now, here's your host, Sean Ellis. In this episode of the Breakout Growth Podcast, I interview Hubert Pallon, founder and CEO of Product Board. One interesting area we discussed was how Product Board has overcome the challenges of creating a new category. Product Board is really the first solution that centralizes feedback from customers to help product teams build the right products and features faster. So Hubert says the challenges of creating a new category often require a lot of funding. And fortunately for them, they raised $45 million just prior to the pandemic. So Product Board now supports more than 3,000 customers, ranging from small startups to larger enterprises with both self-service and high-touch solutions. So to support this growth engine, the team has expanded to hundreds of employees, which introduces new challenges of keeping everyone on the same page. So speaking of staying on the same page, I want to remind you to check out gopractice.io, the immersive simulator that I built with a former data scientist from Facebook, Oleg Yakubenkov. This program empowers teams to learn how to use data to make better decisions around product, marketing, and growth, and really stay on the same page based on the facts that those data uh, show about their business. So check it out at gopractice.io. But for now, let's get started with Hubert Pallon, founder and CEO of Product Board, and find out what's driving their breakout growth success. Hi, Hubert. Welcome to the Breakout Growth Podcast. Hi, Sean. Great to be here. Yeah, I'm, I'm really excited to dig into Product Board. I know that um, you guys have been growing really quickly. And so um, before we get into the details of how you're growing, it would be great if you could just give us a quick introduction to what Product Board is and what problem it solves. Absolutely. Product Board is a product management system. We help uh, product teams and product managers um, get the right, right products to market faster by centralizing uh, feedback from customers and making sure that all the insights from the market are in one place. And then more, more importantly, that they're linked to the feature functionality that ends up on the roadmap. And, you know, really it's about making sure that you're building the right thing and that the things that, uh, your team is prioritizing and and putting on the roadmap is substantiated and justified by the um, the needs of the customers. The the you know the the customers in the center and somehow it's been missing from all the systems that we're that we're using in the product management world. Jira doesn't have a customer. Obviously, Asana, Trello, it's not there. So, so how how have people kind of done that um, prior to you? Uh, coming onto the market was, have they used things like Jira and Asana and just tried to, to kind of tweak them to the to the use case or, or is there something else that, that was available? Yeah, it's kind of interesting. It's either spreadsheets, PowerPoints, kind of the traditional world before a, a, a system designed for this set of needs uh, you know, was created, that that's the status quo still predominantly. Or people use engineering task management systems, as you just mentioned, Jira, or they use just general project management tools like Asana or Trello. They just try to cobble together a bunch of these different uh, different systems. But it doesn't really scale. If you have a large product organization across many different product teams and you're building a complex product, like you really need a system that's optimized. 
That makes sense. So um, you just said if it's a if it's a large product and a large team, is that is that really your your typical customer profile, or what what is sort of the range of customers that you guys uh, that you attract and retain? Yeah, good question. You know, this is not this is not a static world, right? So we started bottoms up. We started with smaller teams and simpler product organizations because. Um, you know, when you're starting, you want to be focused and you want to have a very clearly defined set of needs that, that, that you're satisfying. But then since then, the market has been pulling us up. There's so much opportunity and the larger the product uh, organization is, the more complexity there, the more, you know, product complexity, organizational complexity. And that's what we've been experiencing. So now we're selling to mid market or even enterprise companies to larger product organizations, but it's a, it's an evolving, it's a, you know, kind of moving target. Right now, we have companies that are as big as Zendesk or Autodesk as, as customers, or Disney, you know, Disney Plus, the team. Um, and then also, obviously, you know, many small startups, but we're in this unique position that there's no incumbent. There's no sales force of product management. It's really a new green field. And that that's a great opportunity. It also has a lot of challenges. We can talk about it. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. yeah. So, is it a is a SaaS solution, and do you, do you sell by like by seed, or how how do you actually price the product? Yeah, it is a B two B SaaS. Uh, we price uh, per seed, uh, and then you know we have uh, self service uh, public pricing as well as uh, obviously sales assisted motion for larger companies. Okay. Uh, who need who need help with the the purchasing process? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So speaking of self service, I assume that um, you you I, I saw that you recently launched a free customer feedback portal. I assume that that's probably feeding leads into the self service business, or is that something that is um, is for really both both kind of the high end uh, customers and and the the smaller companies? Well, it's it's both in the sense that. As a product manager, you want to have as many touches with the market and with your customer base or even the prospects, right? And so the the to the extent you can listen to the customers and understand their pain points, to the extent you can understand how um, the different customer groups differ, how they're segmented, the better. Because then you can, you know, define the focus and get say, okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna address the needs of a specific customer segment. Now, how you do it is that you you go directly to the customers or you talk to the other people in the company who talk to the customers, sales, marketing, customer support, and so on. And what we did specifically with the portal is that we said, oh, this is a use case where the customer uh, can talk directly to the product organization, to the product decision makers through this portal, which is a also coincidentally a great viral channel because you know the typical B2B SaaS tool at a company doesn't really have any surface area that the customers interact with. If mm-hmm. you think about Salesforce, Salesforce is inside the building, right? It's like an right. internal tool. Uh, the The advantage of the product system, product management system, is that there are these touch points that are like in front of the the, the, the customer, the audience. And so, in in our case, small companies, large companies, they can set up the portal and start quickly collecting insights and feedback from from the users. And then, you know, to your growth expertise, it's also a great great growth loop and viral loop because people see the portal, we have branding there, uh, and, you know, it, it, it helps um, to generate leads as well. 
Yeah, I definitely know that that space well because I used to have a business called Qualaroo that uh, had billions of impressions across a, a lot of sites. We sold it to a private equity uh, company years ago, but uh, it definitely it was it was an awesome engine in terms of all of that exposure that you get with with branded placement on on client sites. So <laughs> I can uh, I I can understand the the benefit, particularly on the viral side there, and and then the. Um, you know, especially if you've got a, a good way of transitioning those people to uh, considering your broader solution and, and driving upsells, then then that's a that's an awesome combination. <laughs> yeah. And it's also something that can be set up quickly and easily. You know, sometimes the B2B systems in, in-house, like, you know, the internal workflow systems, you don't get much value until you really put a lot of data into it. And the advantage of, of something like the customer feedback portal that we launched is that you can very quickly throw out some ideas that you want to, uh, you know, validate or that you want to collect feedback on, and you know, you can start doing it right away. So it kind of helps with adoption as well. Right, and then so I, uh, you know, you're as the founder and CEO, uh, you've been there from the from the early early days. What um, what was sort of that transition like? What, I mean, I guess everything from. What led you to the idea, and then when did you when did you feel like okay, this is this is validated. We really have something here. Let's get aggressive about growing it. And kind of what what did that uh, early stage look like for you? Mm-hmm. I you know my story is kind of the typical experience your own pain and then go try to solve it. So I was a I was a VP product at a uh, at a company in San Francisco, and uh, I've just been <laughs> experiencing the pain points of of navigating all the feedback, uh, being in the middle of the perfect storm of sales, marketing, customer success conversations, trying to align everybody at the company and try to create a kind of a shared mental model. You know, who is our customer? What is it that they need? Why are we building something? Why are we not building something else? And so I decided, hey, I'm gonna I'm gonna build it. And then, you know, the early days. And Steve Blank was my professor at, at uh, I got my MBA at Berkeley, and uh, I just completely followed that lean startup methodology. We went out of the building, we we talked to customers or you know prospects. We've done, I mean, we talked to almost seven hundred people. We, we we've done thirteen different versions of the prototypes until we arrived to the current you know core, the the initial UX architecture of the product. And it was just like a lot of iterating, a lot of a lot of testing, a lot of customer conversations, and then slowly, I mean, you know, the nature of this of, of a product like ours, it's a complex B two B system, and kind of you know the the minimum feature set that you need to get in order for the product to be viable is actually pretty broad, and you know we basically said like let's try the smallest segment with the biggest pain point and focus on that, and we found that in the in the lack of like the customer centricity and customer insight, you know, the lack of uh, connection between the feedback, qualitative feedback, and the feature functionality that is plentiful in Jira's and you know other tools. Um, and then we went from there. And I, and I remember early on having a conversation with one of my early angel investors, like, okay, you know, it's not growing as fast. What are you gonna do? <laughs> Grow faster? And uh, and just like, hey, we need to keep building. We need to keep keep solving the the needs and make sure that we get to a um, to a place where the main workflow is complete where you go from the inside through prioritization to sharing the roadmaps and then it started growing quickly you know we it was really product maturity that got us to that fit product mm-hmm. market fit and so how did you how did you 
keep from as as you said, you know, the minimum feature set was pretty broad. How did you how did you keep from over-engineering and and kind of you know, starting with that kind of end end vision of what you want to get to, what did you decide? How did you just, I mean, that's part of what your product does, I guess, but how did you decide what is that, what is that minimal feature set that that's going to make it a must have product? How did, how did you narrow it down to that? Yeah. And look, it was hard and we definitely over-engineered in many aspects and then had to go back and simplify. And, you know, we're still actually simplifying like, you know, right now, um, but it was a learning process around, like, I always had that mindset and, the, the, you know, my mental model around problem space and solution space. And I, and I knew that the problem is there. And it's, it's, it's you know, the, the, the challenge for the kind of company we are, for the business is how do we create simple enough solution that will solve the need? Again, because it's a complex set of needs. It's a complex enterprise, you know, workflow. And um, so we just kept making sure that, like what we are building, the functionality that it is really solving the biggest, the biggest needs. That that helped. You know, we knew that we are not building the wrong thing. We just, you know, the the feedback was positive. It's like, hey, keep building this. Like this is okay. I need this. I need this. I just need more because. And we understood why and just kept going. Um, and we, you know, we were very focused on the small teams initially. The smaller, simpler organizations, not complex, large products, as I mentioned. And 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 I always talked about the core was the core experience. What is the experience that an individual product team needs in order to succeed and be focused on that? And then later on we started adding more collaborative functionality and more functionality, you know, for okay, now we have two product teams and then you have three product teams and then ten product teams and how the product should evolve. So it was a very deliberate kind of you know strategic set of steps how to mm-hmm. go. Did you did you have any um does do any examples come to mind of of completely flawed assumptions or or very off assumptions that you had going into it? Uh, the I, look, the challenge was to stay focused on uh, like the, the the initial segment because and I, you've you've probably seen it right. Like you launch a product, there's the initial positive product market fit. People start using it, and then they start asking you like for zillion adjacent use cases and even like different personas. And so the um, that, that, that was one challenge, just like to stay focused on that. And I was like, oh, customer success teams need this and sales team would benefit and so on and so on. The other thing that was challenging, especially in our case, was that there is, you know, there's a high level strategy planning, which is very kind of unstructured in some aspect versus the day-to-day listening. And then, you know, once you build something and then scaling a product and then, you know, you already have kind of like the nucleus and the fit and then you go and you iterate and make it better and improve things. Uh, we spent a lot of time initially building kind of the blue ocean strategy canvas solution or, you know, the high level um, business model canvas kind of thinking. You know, it's not that we built a business model canvas, but it was we spent a lot of time thinking about can we build a solution that's going to be for the early ideation and the early, you know, lean startup product market fit um, um, you know, solution for, for, for that set of problems. And then we realized that if you want to have a system that's going to be used day to day, that every product starts as the initial, okay, I need to get to product market fit. But then, you know, it's, it's, it's a very uh, short amount of time in the overall time span of the product, right? That's yeah, the right. And then also it's the time of the product where, you, where the teams have the least resources, 
And so the value that you create, even though obviously you need to find the product market fit, but you can't really capture the value effectively unless you can then stay and support the, the, the product throughout the life cycle you know, later right. on. And they're so also we, more likely to go out of business at that stage too. Totally, totally, totally. So we basically kind of like, you know, shifted more focus towards, okay, you have a product in the market, you have feedback, you're, you know, you, you have the initial product market fit and then day to day, what is it that you need to do in order to not lose the sense and stay focused? What are the key next things that you should be focused on and, you know, what needs to satisfy? And that's mm-hmm. been working really well. That makes sense. That comes back to the business model that you said. If you're if you're SaaS recurring revenue, if you if you essentially are just serving sort of one piece of the product lifecycle, um, you're you're not going to have long term retained customers, and it's really hard to build a successful business doing that. But but serving that ongoing use case has has probably put you in a much better position to retain customers long term and and build a much more interesting business. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And there is, I mean, you know, if you're building a software for uh, you know the the corporate innovation centers like they they you, you know that that is an ongoing repetitive process right but it's it's not the core of the business like these centers always have fewer dollars it's just the percentage you know ten percent is going into innovation and then you know what's what's going into uh, the the core of the, the the core products and you know enhancing them that's that's much more value for the companies typically. Right. And even in, in corporate innovation, the failure rate is so high that, um, you know, you don't want them blaming the product on something that probably the failure rate would have been pretty high either way. Um, right. But yeah. I mean, clearly, clearly the decisions that you've made put you in a great position. Um, you raised beginning of this year, um, I think it's $45 million. So you're, you're total up to $65 million. So clearly all of that all of that honing in on the market and, and making sure that the, the problem you were solving was one that was important to people and, and then getting, getting that solution right put you in a, in a great position to, to clearly navigate the pandemic in particular. So $45 million right before the world shut down probably, probably made things a little more comfortable for you than, than some of the companies that were um, at, the, at the wrong part in their fundraising life cycle. Um, so what, uh, what, what was sort of, what do you think was, attractive to the investors in terms of uh, what you had accomplished to date? And then how, how did those funds help you navigate through the, um, the last you know, six months? Yeah. I mean, look, like, you know, I had the incredible foresight and that's why I raised the money. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> of course not. Uh, you know, we got the timing. We got lucky with that. Uh, it, it, it just, it just worked out. Um, but it definitely helped because, uh, yeah, we could grow the team, and we hired 100 more people. We are, you know, 210 uh, right now, or even even a little over that. Um, but really, you know, the the reason why we raised the money is because we are seeing an incredible fit, and not just product market fit, but also go to market fit. Obviously, you know, it differs by the segments and SMB versus mid market versus enterprise. Like the, the the product and the company has you know different level of maturity, um, but we're scaling that and. And to you know the earlier comment that it's a new category and there's a big opportunity. Um, if you're building something new and if there's no established category, it also is expensive because you need to invest into the the, the category creation and product marketing and awareness, and you know you need to build a brand, and that comes um, at, a, at a you know significant cost. With the product is helping, right? And the, the 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 viral effect of the product and the positive experience that's driving a lot of inbound interest and a lot of direct traffic. You know, just 
again through through having good product experience. Um, yeah, but again, you know, having having we we barely burned any of the cash that we raised in the previous round, so you know, having fifty million in the bank helps. Uh, yeah, so. de- definitely, definitely, because I think a lot of companies smartly, a lot of startups in particular, smartly um, got pretty conservative with cash because there was so much unknown. And if your if your burn was relatively low and you had a a good cash balance, that's that's a great place to be through through that period of of not knowing what was around the corner. Hopefully, hopefully we everyone's a little more confident on that we're going to come out of this thing. But you know, four, four months ago, um, it was it was a pretty scary time for individuals and businesses. Yeah, and look, so did we. We we became more conservative. I mean, we you know we still grew, but you know we grew less than we initially uh, initially planned because we were you know, let, let's be careful and let's you know let's 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 watch what happens. We got hit, even even though we're in a digital software, digital you know product space that obviously more benefited right from the the remote work and all that setup uh, as opposed to the other industries. But still, in a new category again, it's a different thing. It's not like Zoom where everybody understands what video conferencing is and they just go and they find the whatever the the best solution is or you know the the most spoken of solution is but in our case it's a new category it's like people don't know what product management system is they they, they are not aware uh, of solutions or in you know in some cases um it's it's even the, the problem awareness is not even there and so um you know that 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 still meant that we need to do the the awareness and demand generation and we need to invest there um but we we definitely were more conservative in Q2, Q3. Q3, you know, it, it, things started bouncing back, but, mm-hmm. but Q2 was a rough quarter. Mm-hmm. So so clearly, again, like you, no one raises $45 million if they don't have pretty good numbers in the business. So um, what if, you know, both, both in, in recent months, but even, even before the pandemic, what, what got you from where we talked about just honing in on product market fit initially to to the growth levels that could support that kind of a fundraise, um, particularly given the challenge that you mentioned that you know new new category people aren't necessarily even aware that the product is there. What is what has been the most effective part of of driving that acceleration and and growth through through those challenges? Mm-hmm. So few few things. One is the opportunity in the market and kind of seeing signals that. We're not building a product that just for a niche, um, you know, segment in the market. That as software is eating the world and as digital transformations happening, we've just seen across our customer portfolio, and we have three thousand companies as customers now. You know, there's, it's a, it's a it's a lot of data points to look at. So we've seen that we have companies that are very much digital natives companies like Zendesk, uh, you know, and like this core software product is the business. But then we also saw that we have companies like Marriott or, you know, um, Cartier, like very traditional businesses, Sherwin-Williams, you know, it's a company that sells paint uh, that are undergoing digital transformation and that, you know, they need to be competitive on the digital frontier and that that's, that's where differentiation happens. And that was very interesting and important for investors to see that the market is much broader. And then the other thing about product management is that, you know, there's many more people interested and they have a very 
uh, very vested interest in the success of a product. It's not just the product teams. It is sales. It is marketing. It's customer success. Like if you want to be successful, everybody wants the product to be great and they want to be heard. They want to have the opportunity to provide input. They want to have visibility into what's on the roadmap, what's, what's coming out. And that just turns this opportunity into much bigger market that it's not just the product managers. It's not like a marketing automation tool, you know, where just the product, uh, just the marketer is the user. I mean, there's obviously different ways of monetizing, not by seed, but you know, by, by lead volumes or, or whatnot. But in our case, the product is used and exposed to product and marketing and sales and customer success and support. You know, and so that that was another thing that um, that was great for the story of, of our growth, and we had the data points to show that we, we we could show that you know the paid seeds, and then we have other contributor seeds that, that people are using product board across the whole company, um, which again just you know the market opportunity, and then the engagement metrics, adoption metrics, you know how people are using it, how like all of that was part of that fundraising story and just like our go-to-market, you know, how we are the inbound traffic, inbound leads, you know, engagement. Yeah. All that. Mm-hmm. So I, but I assume that it's the product managers that initially discover it and then, and then it from there expands to some of those other types of users. It is mostly, even though there's, um, there's many scenarios where somebody else at the company discovers product work, like engineers that are frustrated, they don't get the, the visibility into the product prioritization process. And they discover product board and they say, hey, Mr. Product Manager, Mrs. Product Manager, you should you should check this out because it would help our whole company, your, mm-hmm. yourself, mm-hmm. obviously, but the whole company. Or customer success teams. Customer success teams that are doing QBRs or you know quarterly business reviews or that are having conversations with the customers and they are frustrated they don't have visibility into what the product team is working on and they can have very informed customer conversations again like big advocates for us mm-hmm. um, and has the customer feedback portal been been helpful for reaching some of these other groups or is that primarily uh, again going through the product managers it is I mean the, the the portal is something that exposes the product and that it's great if you know, companies set it up. Um, we have Epic Games as a customer and they set it up uh, for their community. And they have a bunch of products, obviously, but so they, they now have a couple portals set up and then, you know, there's hundreds uh, of thousands of users uh, going to these portals and they see it. So it's a, it's a little, you know, more difficult to track that because unless people really go through the, you know, through the branding on the portal, then it's indirect conversion, right? So how do you track it? Like they might see the brand and then they go and they type it directly into the browser. Um, but it it still contributes. Mm-hmm. That makes sense. So um, are there any other like major uh, challenges that you felt like you had to overcome to, to, to get, I mean, there's probably a ton of them, but any that are standing out in your mind of, of noteworthy challenges that on the growth side that you had to overcome to, to get to this point? I mean, there's a lot, there's, there's many challenges. You know, this is not, it's not as straightforward. We started as an inbound self-service business, right? Relying on inbound free trial, you have 15-day free trial. But then as you grow as a company, you need to learn how you switch, how you switch from inbound to outbound because you want to complement the, the, the pipeline mix and you want to start selling top-down, especially as you go up market and you, you're satisfying the needs of the larger product organizations. 
So there's a lot of learning and we're still going through it and still figuring things out there. How do you go from the SMB to mid-market and enterprise? The needs are more complex. It's obviously a different purchasing process. So there's a lot of things that we needed to figure out. What's the relationship of the self-service experience and the self-service, um, you know, the, the self-service customers, when do you touch them? How do you expand them? What is the right motion? How you do it? Like, you know, some product managers don't want to be talked to by sales and they just want to experience the product and they want to have very kind of, you know, product specific, product expert conversation. Um, and so we're still learning how to, how to know who to talk to in what way, how do we segment them? You know, and so... There's a lot of lot of things that we're figuring out, and the in this thing, it's kind of the opportunity and the open market there. It it makes it almost more difficult because, um, you know, it's it's again, it's not like there's Salesforce and we're pipe drive building a you know better CRM for SMBs. Uh, the market's open out up there, which you just need to be thoughtful how quickly you go up market because if you do it too fast, then well, you know. It takes time to build the enterprise uh, scale product, and we've made incredible, uh, incredible progress. And you know, now again, large companies are using us, but you need to be thoughtful along the way, the, the trajectory, just like you know, strategically, have right. you and stay focused. When even even the question of you know, do you go up market or not? I, I think if you look at a company like HubSpot, um, clearly entering a, a, a different maturity level of of kind of the CRM market. Um, or marketing automation or whatever the heck they are now, but um, they've, they've really sort of carved out a, 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 a smaller company than, than say Salesforce has, or, you know, some of the other higher end market. And it seems like that strategy has served them pretty well. Um, do you feel like, because this is more of a, um, you know, a, a wide open greenfield opportunity that it's, it's uh, there's, there's more of an opportunity to kind of serve the market more broadly or um, what, what's sort of the difference between a mature market and a, and more of an emerging market in terms of that decision? Well, the, I mean, the, the you know, the difference in the, in the, in the nascent market or the new market is that you need to educate the market about the category and about the problem and then the solution and the, and, and you need to be you need to be more thoughtful and more focused because initially this you know it's expensive you don't have the resources and so on and and so the 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 cost of acquisition might be higher because of that again like if you have product and you know it starts it starts it starts spreading through the product that helps but when you're then going top down and you need to reach the chief product officers or you know the heads of product at larger companies you need to explain what the product does because they don't have the they don't have the concept of the category. So that you need to overcome that, right? And you need to do a lot of market education. You need to do a lot of product marketing and great content and explain the benefits and the value that you get out of running your product organization in a more efficient way. And and again, that takes time and that that takes resources. Whereas if if you're building a better CRM or you know, if you're HubSpot and you're competing with Marketo. You know, it's 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 a different. I mean, HubSpot in the early days actually created the marketing automation category, right? And it's like it was a new category, but now it's different. So it just, yeah, it's like you invest into slightly different type of content and slightly different dimension strategies than than you do in an established market. But it, it seems like, um, yeah, as you as you've moved from the bottom up approach to one where you are going both top down, bottom up 
and you know, as you said, some some of these organizations aren't going to want to talk to a salesperson. Some sometimes the salespeople are going to have a really big impact on a sale. Uh, I've got to imagine that the complexity of your organization has uh, has has changed quite a bit, or it's become a lot more um, layered in terms of the the different pieces there. What it, what does it look like? today compared to say a year and a half ago in terms of, you know, how sales, marketing, customer success, growth, how, what are the organizations that even exist and how do they fit together? Oh yeah. I mean, that's a, that's a great question and a big topic. And I, you know, my board would always joke like, Hubert's going to show up again and talk about segmentation because that was kind of like a recurring theme. Like, okay, how do we segment the market and how do we change the emotions and, you know, where do we in, invest? And, uh, um, and then you also want to do it in a way where you keep, it's not like that you're growing up market and you're abandoning the bottom of the market because you want to stay protected. Like you don't want to expose yourself to, to bottoms, uh, you know, disruption or low end disruption. And so that to your point, it increases complexity because you want to keep playing there and you want to keep offering a simple user experience to the to the you know smaller companies and simpler teams and and kind of have a smooth initial land experience, but then how do you expand and how do you go uh, tops down? So I mean, yeah, we now have a sales team and we now have both inbound motion and we have outbound SDRs and we have sales team that's focused on SMB and we have another sales team that's focused on you know upmarket, the midmarket enterprise and. The motions differ. Uh, you know, SMB is is very much inbound driven, even though there is a, a outbound aspect. And then upmarket is much more about POCs and you know different value proposition and you know sophisticated sales enablement. And um, but you know you 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 kind of do it. You I mean that's why you also raise money because it is you know you, you need to hire the people. And but the good news is that it's more defensible because if you do it right. You know, you are protected at the bottom. You're, you're you're going up market quickly, and time is of the essence. You don't uh, give anyone a real beachhead to to gain traction to yeah. to compete with you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But again, you're doing it because the opportunity is there, right? And you right. capture it, and you know, it's it's uh, like all the signs in the market are point are pointing towards the the great opportunity, and so. Yeah, that's but it's but it's interesting because I think about like um, you know by the time I left logged me in, it sales was a was a pretty big part of the culture there, and um, yeah, I went to Dropbox about six months after logged me in, and it was much more of a self service model for a long time. I'm sure sales is a big component now, but it's amazing just how how different the cultures become when it's a product and self service kind of driven model versus a Versus a sales assisted model, you know, salespeople have big personalities and they they tend to uh, they tend to affect the culture quite a bit. And it sounds like you you have a little bit of all of that. Um, I've got to imagine that it's it's been an interesting uh, transition culture wise to 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 have a, a have a company that that um, has all those pieces fit together well. Yeah, and look like so if I put my CEO hat on, right? We, we've been talking about product mostly, but like the CEO hat on. It is the role of bringing people together and making sure that everybody understands the needs of the different customer segments. And I always, and I, I like my background is like, I, I, I got my master's in computer science and then I went to business school and I always kind of like was balancing between the, the, the technology and the business worlds. And I always, and I spend intentionally a lot of focus on explaining to both of these sides 
how important they are and that the you know revenue we talk about revenue and obviously we had all hands and then the, the r&d teams would say we talk about revenue and you know like it's why are we talking about revenue is the sale <laughs> is it going to change the culture of the company it was like look revenue is an indicator of the product market fit and pro, and, and go to market fit like think of it as a metric that is telling you whether what you're building is the right thing and it's like use it as a KPI, right? It's not like, it's not all about revenue. Like we are, the, the reason why we exist is to help create a world where every product is extraordinary and exceptional. And then how you're doing, like the revenue is an indicator that you can use to measure performance. You can benchmark yourself and, you know, that helps you guide. You see where you have fit the different segments and that helps guide your product strategy and investments. So that, you know, if you like twist the conversation a little bit, it's not about making money. It is about solving the problem. And the revenue is an indicator of how successful you are doing that. Right. So it sounds like just, just re recentering on that mission that you just talked about is the one thing that hopefully gets, gets all these disparate parts of the business focus on the same thing. And, um, and that clearly, obviously the, I'm sure anyone who, complaints about a revenue focus uh, still really appreciates their paycheck. So that becomes pretty hard to yeah, uh, a paycheck and, without revenue. Yeah. And money talks, right? If somebody right. wants to pay you, you know, a couple hundred thousand dollars a year for a product, like they probably have a big pain point that they're trying to solve. Yeah. And so that's, that's a proof point. That doesn't mean that you're going to go and you're going to build custom features for large companies, you know, and you're going to get into custom software building business, you still need to think about uh, the, the broader market and does does the request represent a broader set of needs for, you know, for a broader uh, set of customers. So that's just good product strategy and good, good product thinking, but it's, it's not either or. Right, right. It's 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 all the components of a healthy business. <laughs> um, so it, you you talked about revenue at, is is a KPI that lets you know that you're that everything that you're doing you're 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 hopefully doing well and it's at least sustainable if you've got um, enough revenue coming in to 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 keep that runway nice and long. Um, but do you have uh, do you have something that's more of a, a qualitative metric that's more aligned with the mission that you talked about? You know, a lot of times we talk about that as like a north star metric that maybe is a little more um, emotionally compelling for the for the team to align around as a success metric. Yeah, so it looked like you know revenue or, or churn, the, the the flip side of it, right? That's that's the, it's like trailing indicators, lagging lagging indicators. Uh, we we track engagement on the product side. We track you know, insights created on the platform and features created that that indicate that that the core engagement. Because again, product board connects the insights and helps teams understand the needs of the customer and then make sure that it's tied and reflected in the roadmap. And so that link is what we look at. Uh, we, we look at L28 analysis and, you know, we look at all the active active users and obviously the different, the different kind of core jobs or the core needs that we satisfy as a product. Like there, there's, you know, uh, subsequent metrics, like for example, for roadmap sharing, you look at how often and, you know, how, how actively the roadmaps are shared and, and visited by the other parts of the company and so on. So there's a whole set of metrics, but the, but the core is really the, you know, the features uh, supported by insights. It's kind of like that connection is, is mm -hmm. critical for us. Okay. No, that's, that's, I, I think it's one of those things that 
you know, the more metrics that there are, obviously it, it's, um, it's, it's, it's hard to, to gauge pro- progress, especially if some of them are going up and some are going down. And so I, I know that Facebook and Slack have used something like a daily active user metric as t- sort of a, a singular metric that's supported by a lot of other submetrics. But um, it, uh, you know, I, got, I got a couple of those as you were talking, whether it's active users or, or insights, um, but, but something that um, is kind of aligned with that mission can, can be helpful in, in keeping the, the broader team aligned over time as it, as it gets more complex and fragmented. Um, so, but, but kind of stepping back to the, to the customer part, because obviously that's the part that, that powers this whole thing. Um, why don't, why don't we kind of wrap up with the, with the journey of, you know, how, how do most customers discover the product today? And then, and then, you know, what's the, what's the point at, at which it sticks in an organization? Can it stick in an organization with a single user using it? Or does it, does it usually need, um, that the kind of collaborative features that you said you've added over time and, um, and just sort of what's what's a path from from that discovery to becoming a raving fan and an organization that looks like they'll be a long term customer? Yeah, and it is you know there, there, there's there's not like one single path. Like we are seeing really two motions. One is the land and expand, where the individual teams or individual product managers are looking for a solution to help them prioritize the roadmap. You know, maybe it starts there, and it's like, hey, I you know I am I've been maintaining these spreadsheets or the PowerPoint decks with roadmaps, and they the moment I share them, they go stale, and it's just difficult and cumbersome. And is there something better? And then they discover us, and they realize that the roadmap, and you know the the like sharing the roadmap is great, but that it's just one small part of being a product manager. Because the more important part is what should be in the, on the roadmap in the first place. And then discover, oh, wow, like I can support the roadmap by all these insights and I can tie the, the, the customer feedback. And then it grows from there in terms of the use cases. Right? Like suddenly it becomes a real system that helps with the decision making and that helps justify what is on the roadmap. Why are some, why why did we prioritize something or why did we deprioritize something? So that's 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 one. The 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 top down the top down use case is more when you're a chief product officer or VP product and people have 10, 20, 100 product teams and they're trying to make sense of who's working on what. Are we aligned? Uh, you know, are we organized? Uh, maybe we have some high-level objectives defined as a company, but what's our confidence level that we are actually prioritizing the right, uh, the right task or the right activities, right? Like the the the, the right problems to solve or features to build, um, given what the market's telling us. And right now, there's very little visibility. Different teams do it in different tools and spreadsheets. Again, you know, PowerPoint presentations. Somebody's looking at Injira, and so they they need a system that kind of provides a centralized, um, rigorous approach to how you make product decisions and how you get everybody focused on the right things. And that's where product boards come in place because the Jiras of the world, again, there's no entity to the customer. It's not like you can see what's relevant to the VIP customers. Or it's re- important what's important to the customers on specific plan. You know, like that customer centricity, the customer segmentation lags there. And it's also usually very low level of granularity, very stories, different, you know, different small tasks, while the company needs a higher level view. These are the objectives. These are the initiatives. This is the big, big uh, investments that we're making. And it seems it seems like like content would probably be somewhat helpful for for both of what you just covered there in terms of 
in terms of like the thought leadership to to onboard people through a, a, a known need? Is that is that one yeah, of the in terms kind of, of ways that they discover it? Yeah, I keep forgetting this is a growth growth podcast. It's <laughs> like, so, so yeah, it's content, it's education, but the different value proposition, right? Like you need yeah, to yeah. be very clear about the segmentation criteria and clear about, okay, what is it that chief product officer at a company like Zoom needs versus what does an individual product manager at a small company, you know, needs different pain points. And, and it's not just the needs around the feature functionality, it's emotional needs. It's the need for recognition and building trust and collaboration and how respected I want to be. Um, you know, how, how, what, what kind of delight they expect from, from the product, right? So all of that differs. And so we do, we invest into community, we invest into um, the kind of the best practices and sharing that. We organized a big product management virtual summit a couple of weeks ago where we had uh, Tamari Hoshua from Slack and Shauna Wolverton from Zendesk, you know, like the, the really successful and, and, uh, and uh, kind of product leaders, you know, in, in, the, in the space to share the best practices. And so that's, you know, it takes time, but, but it really pays off. And then just what do you stand for? It's not about the product. It's like we are part of this tribe and we want others to make excellent products. And your product board happens to be a solution in the space. We hope that you choose it and that you appreciate how we build it. Uh, but it's not the main point. It's much more about helping each other make excellent products. And, and we are genuine like that. I mean, that's why I started the company. And I hope that it comes across, you know, that it's not this like, very salesy kind of, you know, pushy approach. Right. Something that often would lead to shelfware that, that then leads to churn. But um, so do you, are you finding, have you been around long enough that you're finding that um, people use it in one company and then they end up uh, getting hired at a different company and they're bringing it to the, to the new company with themselves? Yeah, totally. Like, yeah, we, we were funny enough, uh, just earlier today, we were looking at some people in our community and there's people who are kind of like the serial startup people. There, there's a person who at, at his seventh startup, mm-hmm. <laughs> he keeps, which I mean, you know, doesn't show to like very successful streak uh, yeah. <laughs> building the company, but keeps bringing it with, with, uh, with him. And even, 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 um, and that's more interesting for us as a kind of from business perspective, right? That the people, startups get acquired or people uh, join later, larger company. And then mm-hmm. we, yeah, yeah, we, we get customers through there. Maybe it could be like me where I, uh, where I purposely was working six month contracts for a long time. So it, uh, lots of startup jumping around doesn't necessarily mean that you're failing in each one. It's like that you, you kind of, you take them through a stage and that, that sounds like the type of person that could help, help seed a product board into a lot of companies. If totally. Doing that. Yeah, totally. If you're a consultant, <laughs> yeah. If you're an advisor, it totally makes sense. Yeah. yeah. And, and so what, um, yeah, you know, just to to wrap up, if you if you kind of started, obviously you started with the journey. You talked about uh, Berkeley uh, MBA and and being in Steve Blank course. So you you you'd uh, you'd, you'd obviously come in with a lot of uh, a lot of insights on on growth and and the the role that product plays in growth. But what what do you feel like now that you've been in the trenches as a founder CEO through the years with this business that you understand about growth that maybe you didn't understand in the beginning? Um, I mean, one thing that I would mention in this kind of like B2B, B2B enterprise space is, uh, you know, sometimes as a, as a product founder or as a kind of like a, you know, more technical background person, you don't appreciate the personal relationships and especially early on 
you know, I look, I, you know, this, this might sound funny, but like for little startup people, we were launching product board around the time when my first son was born and we got 15, 20 early customers just because I, I was reaching out to people and it's like, Hey, we want to try product boards, this product management system. And nobody was responding. And then I sent them, Hey, I know I had these conversations. My kid was just born. I'll, uh, you know, I'll, 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 I'll be out a little bit. Uh, for a while. <laughs> and then people's like, Oh my God, man, it's so exciting. I'm going to give it a try. Congrats. You're a new dad. You know? That's so <laughs> funny. There, there was an office episode where, uh, where Jim and Pam were using their kid to make sales. So <laughs> I didn't, I, not the first. <laughs> I didn't see that, but it worked. It was awesome. And people would be sending me photos of their kids and it's just like, you know, so anyway, I'm, you know, it's, 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 it's more of a joke, but the personal aspect of it in the early days, just approach it. Like people appreciate that you're a human being and that you talk about things that are not just product related. That is like, Hey, this is life and we are in this together and I need help. And so that, that, uh, that was valuable. Yeah, and, it's, and it sounds like the you know the uh, the old Paul Graham article. If I mean, lots of people are familiar with it at this point, but they do things that don't scale. It's just that that hustle and grind, and and the more interactions you have, the the more you figure out what what people are really needing, and and ultimately how to how to build a growth engine around it. Yeah, yeah. And then to your point, I mean, you know, again, growth hacking. You coined that, right? And like you're an expert in this, um, but the approach and the mindset of researching it and testing different messaging and thinking about the the segments of what was the criteria what are the defining characteristics of the audience that's still like so fascinating to me kind of applying the market research techniques and thinking not just about demographics but the behavioral characteristics right and and, and how do you how do you go about um you know, learning about the needs of, of, of the audience beyond what you can get as an enrichment from Clearbit and how do you go about qualification through the sales conversations. It's just fascinating to me. And I still feel like we've, we've got so much learning to do. And then just as an industry, you know, share that knowledge and share that understanding of the customer segmentation with, with the broader company. Um, it's, I know that this is, you know, it's it, it might not be coming as clear of a message, but it's it's because like I s- see so many companies struggle with that. If you ask your, your ideal customer profile, like you get very high level responses, you know, most of the time. And I just want to highlight that that you know we need to talk more about product strategy and segmentation and how you think about the incremental approach and how narrowly you describe the segments and the target customers and and the adjacency of use cases and making sure that you understand uh, how homogeneous your target audience is in terms of personas. And that if you build for too many personas, you know, the messaging gets thrown into the mix and it's more complicated. Whereas if you focus on one, Uh, anyway, I I know it's complex, but just let's talk more about that. (laughs) But that's definitely one of my key takeaways as, as you've been talking is just, uh, is, is, you know, focusing on a, on a narrow part of the market and, and, um, you know, it, it sounds like you, everything from what does the product look like that, that needs to serve that market to what does the organization look like that, that, uh, attracts and, and converts and retains that part of the market. And then over time, as you've, as you've built the business and, and attracted more resources, you can, you can go more broadly and, and think about those adjacencies and how do we expand into the, other parts of the market, because I think that the, uh, the biggest thing 
is that you, you know, most new businesses fail. And w- especially when it's a new category, if one, once you've validated it, it's only a matter of time before lots of others come flocking into that space. And the more you can take slack out of the market, the, the more likely that it'll be hard for someone else to gain traction and become a formidable competitor to you. Yeah, absolutely. It's, it's, I mean, yeah, to this point, it's just like how you stay focused and how you strategically defend yourself, the moats you build. Another thing that was really interesting is that I went and I dove really deep into the history of like, how did we end up with Lean Startup? And uh, before that, you know, how Agile happened. And and I ended up reading the theoretical uh, papers on House of Quality from Japan in the 80s. And, and it's just like, you know, the history comes back and it repeats itself. It's the same, like the market segmentation and the thinking. It's been around for a long time. It's been taught in marketing strategy classes before product management, the digital product management existed. You know, we talked about brand manager, right? And that's good, fast doing consumer good companies. And so it's just like the idea that you're learning, you're reading a book that's from the 80s and, you know, it's on marketing strategy and it's so relevant to what we're doing today. That was also just like, okay, yeah tried and proven, we need to apply it to a new era in the digital fast-moving space, but the concepts stay the same. Right. I've, I've always kind of thought it's it's almost like physics where there's a uh, you know a set of governing principles and and we we come up with different theories and tactics of how to how to navigate within them, but the but the overall kind of framework and physics that we're trying to operate in don't don't really change that much over time and it's we're just trying to get smarter about how to how to maximize opportunities within them but uh totally. that's a that's a conversation for another time totally. uh, but i i really appreciate hubert um you opening up and just sharing the story of product board and and the journey from you know those early days to where you guys are and i'll be really excited to watch where you where you take it from here because it, it seems like you're really onto a a huge opportunity and one where you've got uh passionate customers that will help power you into the the next phases thank you sean i, I really appreciate uh talking to you it was awesome thank you great well to, to everybody listening thanks for tuning in and uh we'll uh do another one next week bye for listening to the breakout growth podcast please take a moment to leave us a review on your favorite podcast platform and while you're at it subscribe so you never miss a show until next week